The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Good afternoon, I'm Ian Stone and this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We're going to be talking Arsenal for the next four and a half hours. <laughs> so strap in, that's a joke by the way. But I'll tell you what isn't a joke, the lineup we got for you today, I'm joined by The Athletic writer Amy Lawrence and the journalist Nick Callow. Good afternoon guys. Hello. Good afternoon, afternoon. Sony. nice Thanks to see you. Thanks for having me back. Uh, it's alright and down the line, it is the Arsenal legend. That is Mr Lee Dixon, good afternoon Lee. Good afternoon, chaps. Everyone well? Well. Never been better. We uh, That's good. Seeing as you ran a mile with the, the fastest ever mile for a 53-year-old unfit man. I didn't know there yeah. was a record for that. I've, but just, okay. I've been on to Norris McWhirter and uh, I'll be registering it afterwards. Is he still around? One of them is. Book, yeah. One of them is. Good. Now, before we get started on the main uh, topic of the show, we did, of course, play Leeds United in the FA Cup on Monday night, so I thought we'd go around the panel and ask them for their favourite FA Cup memory. We decided not to include Thierry Henry's goal against Leeds United because that could be everybody's favourite FA Cup memory. Uh, Amy, we'll start with you. Um, you know I'm never short of a story, so I'm going to cheat here and give you a favourite, but also a sort of worst. Um, my favourite one, just quickly, 98 FA Cup final Winning the double, Marco Overmarsen and Elka with the goals. This was kind of the brave new world of Wenger's Arsenal and this multicultural team, which was the mix of all the best of the old English values and the kind of new international flamboyance coming in. And winning the double was a big thing um, growing up, thinking that the, you know, the double was mythical. And to actually see Arsenal win the double felt incredible. Uh, and I did something a bit cheeky that day. I was working... And um, the mix zone was, was in, in the old Wembley Tunnel. And when we'd hang around waiting for all the uh, guys to come by and try and get a few interviews, when it was sort of drying up, it was a beautiful sunny day. You could just hear the lawnmowers on the pitch at Wembley. And we snuck out, me and another journalist who may want to remain nameless, also of an Arsenal persuasion. The sun was beating down under the Twin Towers. And we took advantage of running onto the basically the Charlie George spot <laughs> and lying down a la Charlie in homage to 1971. That was pretty good. The worst one, I'll try and make this brief, um, was Wrexham. And uh, at the time, I was living in a uni uh, accommodation with lots of people, one of whom was so stringently Welsh nationalist. Everybody just referred to him as Swansea. Nobody knew his (laughs) name. And uh, Swansea wrote to Mickey Thomas, as in the Rex and Mickey Thomas, pretending to be me. And I received an envelope one morning addressed to me. Oh, great, I've got a letter. Opened it up and there was a signed picture. Dear Amy, we stuffed the gunners. Best wishes, Mickey Thomas. (laughs) How brilliant. Lee's laughing, but I'm not sure he found the memory of that Wrexham game particularly funny. By the way, I should point out also the Newcastle 98 game. Uh, I won £120 on a 2-0 correct score double and my son was born the next day. So that was a pretty... And uh, and Alan, our friend, uh, got a limo to and from the ground So uh, for all of us. So that was a pretty good it weekend. A, it was a great day for all of us. Great weekend for all of us. It really was. Nick, yeah. Nick, what have you got? Well, I'm going to go, but as we've always already outed me as the oldest living Arsenal working journalist fan, um, I think my favourite memory, and I think the worst one we said before, was when we lost to Tottenham in the semi-final at Wembley. So that one when the donkey won the derby and Tony Adams won it back for us in the, the next semi-final at Wembley was a close one. But I think I go back to my favourite one as a kid, which was the 1979 final against Man United. I was just 13 then. 
And it was the first time I'd seen Arsenal win a trophy. And the exhilaration of that match, remember we were 2-0 up and then 2 all against Man United. looked like we are going to lose the game in extra time. Brady out to Ricks. Ricks crossed it over. And then Sunderland scored that goal, which just sparked an amazing celebration. And me, I just remember running around with my mates going ballistic. Fast forward to May of last year, 2019. I'm now an established journalist of sorts. And Liam Brady organised a reunion dinner for that, that 79 squad at, Haas, at the Arsenal Stadium was very kind enough to get me along that day and I spent the whole afternoon and then the evening in the company of my sort of teenage sort of heroes and it ended up with, with the aforementioned Alan Davis and a few of us about 10 12 of us in a pub in King's Cross reliving all those days Alan Sunderland by the way is fantastic company really likes to be the center of attention and then a sort of drunken moment I just suddenly started singing the songs of the team we all agree Rixie is better than Hoddle and going around Alan Alan Sunderland <laughs> born is the king of Highbury to Brady and then there's Frank Stapleton who'd been a little bit wary about coming along because of the reaction he got when he yeah. left Arsenal remember the greed you know, you know going to Man United and I got to Frank Stapleton and all I could think of was the song that we sang for him after he left and I just sort of paused, and Alan, who was sitting next to me, went, you're just a greedy Stapleton. I said, no, Alan, no, no, no. We're all friends now. And he, he laughed it off, and um, that just brought all those beautiful memories of 79 back for me, which was, that just sort of set me off for life, and we've been winning trophies ever since, it feels like it. Lee, what about you? You must have some pretty good FA Cup memories. Yeah, well, firstly, I'm, I'm shocked that you think that my best, my favourite um, goal against Leeds would be Thierry Henry, based oh. on the fact that I did score against Leeds in the replay after missing the penalty in uh, the first replay. So I I prefer my goal than his goal. Right. Albeit, um, yeah, so let's just get that straight first. Okay? Um, best one um, was the my first trophy in that competition which was probably goes down as the worst FA Cup final of in living memory the replay against Sheffield Wednesday but I think as a, as a kid you know we've all had visions of of us picking that trophy up when we were going through school and we've all picked a fake trophy up somewhere pretending it is still a vase in your mum's house pretending it's the FA Cup it's never the league championship or the European Cup it's always the FA Cup mm. as a kid and I think you know to get to a final was just and it was an amazing day to walk out at Wembley to to have that feeling you know a bit old-fashioned there is nothing like FA Cup final day I grew up watching it like everybody from sort of nine in nine o'clock in the morning when they used to have those brilliant TV days where you just sat there in your pajamas all day long watching it and then to one day actually be the guy on the on the screen walking out it, it even now now, sort of thinking about it, just the heart starts beating, and it's just a, a, an incredible moment. And then followed by not the worst game, but two of the worst games it's ever been. But it didn't matter, you know, to us. It was just, you know, to get to get your hand on that silverware was just brilliant. And obviously, the worst was, um, as Amy pointed out, Wrexham. Um, and I remember it was one of the two times in difficult situations that I laughed on a football pitch. And when Michael Thomas, well, Mickey, how do we, what do we call him? Mickey. We can't call him Michael. It's Mickey. Yeah. yeah, it's Mickey Thomas, yeah. isn't it? Can't get him mixed up, can we? Jeez, no, I, nice. I don't think we can. No, plus Amy's no. got a signed photo that says Mickey. So I think we go with that. <laughs> so so when, he, when, he hit, when he hit that shot and it went in, I actually started laughing to myself because it was, it was such an unbelievable moment that we're going, hang on a minute. 
they've just, what's what's going on here? And then obviously what happened after that, Joe, I remember George coming in the dressing room afterwards. He was so angry. We were in there, for, normally he's in there waiting for us, but for some reason I think we were in there first and he came in and we were all, all just looking at our boots going, hmm, I think I've tied my boots up wrong. I need to redo, you know, trying to just imagine we're thinking about something else. And he just came in and he looked at us and he, he called us a really bad name that I can't say on here. <laughs> Every one of you are this word. And we all went, See, that's fair play. And then he went, and do you know what? I'm not talking to the press. I'm not talking to anyone out there. You gonna go out there and explain to everybody what you've just done. And it was, oh, it was just, I felt like a little Labrador puppy who just weed on my mum's carpet. I just needed to shrivel up and... And so he, he made us uh, he made us pay, and we had to go out and talk to Amy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, I, even I didn't want to talk to you. No, I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, I sort of feel like I should have done mine before Lee's because that's a proper FA Cup memory. But if you're asking, uh, whole city that first win in whatever it was, eight or nine years. Just a beautiful sunny day. I love when we come from behind, mm. two 0 down. Should have been three within the first ten minutes. Kieran Gibbs cleared one off the line. And then we came back and we won 3-2, beautiful sunny day, and I got a parking space quite close to the stadium and we were home within about 45 minutes, me and Alexander. It was uh, really, I was just so happy that day because we won. Well, I took my uh, eldest, that was his first cup final. He was quite young to be going to Wembley and I had really laid it on thick about the cup final in Wembley being, I mean, it's as if I'd sat him down in a dark room with a video machine for like a week just playing those all day, sort of nine o'clock in the morning build up Wembley things I'd overdone it and we got there and and two nil down after what eight minutes or something <laughs> Kieran Gibbs he literally had a breakdown and begged me to take him home and I thought oh I don't know what to do here this is unprecedented I'm at the cup final I can't leave no you can't and, and he was begging me to, to go it was too much I put so much pressure on but you said you go I'll see at the end <laughs> see at the end you wait in the car uh, by the way just one more thing before we move off the FA Cup that Arsenal Tottenham game when Arsenal won one nil uh, and Tony Adams got yes. the header in the semi-final. I actually won tickets to that from time out. So I took Rosie, my wow. missus, to that game and we were in the Tottenham bit. So it wasn't a lot of fun. And when that was Tony the first Adams, prize. That was a first prize, <laughs> yes. So, and and when, Tottenham, uh, when Tony Adams scored that header, this Tottenham fan next to me looked at the Arsenal fans and went, Arsenal! You're ugly. <laughs> it was one of the weirdest things I'd ever seen. And there were certain people in that Arsenal end going, I, I thought I looked okay. I made quite an effort. <laughs> I don't know what the general feeling is about what Mikel Arteta has done for our club, but I feel, this is a personal thing, that it's nothing short of transformational. There, this is not just optimism. Uh, it just feels like everything has changed, the players, but also the fans. And it feels to me like there's genuine leadership for the first time since Arsene Wenger. So I wanted to talk about leadership. Amy, you have something to say at I, this I, point. I just feel like Lee Dix is going to come on right now and say, did you not watch that first half? Yeah. I, <laughs> Sorry. I, I, Lee, I, listen, I've set this up. It's on the volley from two yards out, right? But I, I'm genuinely excited by what I've seen so far. And I'm not talking about all of the football. The first half last night was pretty pedestrian. We were bossed by a championship team. But I do feel there's a certain leadership. And we wanted to talk about leadership today. So I wanted to ask, can we discuss, first of all, what you think leadership is? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very, very um, uh, frequently used 
word and you can use it in all different ways as a support mechanism uh, accusational when you say well that team's got no leadership mm. and then yeah and you're right you do have to break down what that actually means what does it mean what what for me a leader is somebody who um without even trying uh puts themselves not second but they've got an ability to just be able to, by example, and I don't mean playing because you can, you know, Tony Adams is a perfect example of that. Through the, you know, through the drinking years, there was plenty of time where Tony wasn't playing particularly well. And, you know, to to be fair as well, during the sober years, he's had some bad games like we all have. That's almost irrelevant. It's almost um, an intangible asset that somebody has that they... Um, go into issues and problems and um, situations almost without caring about themselves and saying, well, this needs sorting out. So I'm going to give that problem anything I've got in order to try and help everybody else around me um, solve that problem. And so it doesn't have to be playing brilliantly well every week. And that's why the, you know, the best players in any team are not necessarily the captains. You know, they've got their own stuff going on and, and they're, they're scoring the goals or they're creating or they're even, you know, defending quietly on the sidelines like someone like Nigel Winterburn. But, and you wouldn't, would you would you necessarily pick Nigel and say, well, he's a leader. You know, he's, he, he, he was kind of vice, vice captain or something. If, if there was a couple of injuries, he'd get the armband. Yeah. But does that mean that he stands out as, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't, you know, he's not... Typical, uh, very vocal, front foot, um, stand-up bloke who's going to put his chest in front of you. He'll have a ruck with you and he'll fight all day long. And, and, and there's, there's a fine line between the a captain's um, stature. You know, Tony Adams is, is the, and I keep going back to Tony because he obviously was the best, he's my longest captain and the best captain and I'd ever played on under, uh, at any level. Because he he would he would just say right step out of the way a minute I've got to get to the front of this line and it doesn't matter where the line's going you could be going down a blind alley you know you're gonna go no we're gonna go down together and he had that ability to be able to convince people around him that what he was doing and what the team was doing was the best thing invariably you have to have results at the end of that if you keep getting if you keep going down the the, the dead end road and yeah. getting to the brick wall and turning back and coming all after a while you go I'm not going to follow him anymore because I don't really think he knows what he's doing so there's got to be an end product and and there's got to be the ability for the people around to to get the best out of themselves because they're they're being led by somebody who you admire you respect you would um, put yourself in dangerous positions you know and I'm talking about on the football pitch this is all football related we can talk about life issues on another podcast but I'm talking about I would put myself in a vulnerable position on the pitch if it meant I was helping say Tony Adams or as a, as a leader if he needed me I would go fair enough I'll put myself in a really bad position that that I know if Giggsy gets the ball I'm really in a lot of trouble because I know Tony needs me and it kind of rubs off on each other and that's why it's so so important to have more than you know the armband on one guy and going you know what happens now because there's plenty of times where Tony's turned around to me and gone Dick I'm I'm in a lot of trouble here I'm not feeling great my hamstring's sore and you go it's okay because that team the teams I played in certainly had 
many of them who who could have carried that armband. So it's it definitely comes from within and is a it's a character thing as opposed to an ability thing um, for sure. Uh, Lee, just in terms of leadership, uh, in the Leeds game, it really felt like that leadership came from Mikel Arteta and particularly at half time with that team talk, which almost seems yeah. to have gone down in myth already. Um, I did feel it was remarkable for a guy who's managed now four matches to be able to take yeah. a situation where all the, presumably every instruction that he'd given them pre-match wasn't happening and I think he yeah. made it clear he was very unhappy about that but whatever he said yeah. in those walls and behind that door uh, at half time and it's a a complicated period obviously people have got emotions physical issues all sorts going on in that in that interval he obviously got the right messages across how easy or difficult is it for a manager to get through to players in that period or indeed for players to kind of really listen well it's 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 a strange place, half time in a dressing room, um, and there's very little time to say an awful lot. You have to be to the point. Whether that is a, a you know a throwing teacups around moment, like George would come in sometimes and be really aggressive. His style was slightly different, so he, he had a, a very um, a very aggressive manner about how he wanted things done because he, he realised the short and time and I've got to get this message over you're not doing what I want you to do so do this or you're in trouble so his style not always sometimes he'd come in and go right okay guys I need we need to just be a bit closer between the lines and we need to press a little bit better but majority of the time George would be in and he'd be like you know schoolmaster we've got five minutes of the lesson to go I need you to get this all down on paper and then the homework start and you've got to get it all done. We haven't got any time. The bell's going to go. So that's how his dressing room was. Mikel Arteta, I don't know him. Never been in the dressing room. You know, I'd probably know as much about him as, as, as everybody else. What you hear, what Pep says about him, his calm nature in his press conferences, his no no doubt ability to, to communicate is one of his biggest strengths. I would imagine that that half time that you're talking about would have been fascinating to be in there to get an insight of what he's really like in a similar way the, the clock's ticking and they were so bad in that first half and Leeds were so good against us that first half was the worst I've seen for a long time and um, you know we've talked on here how bad we've been so there was so much going on wrong tactically, uh, positionally, uh, body language. Ozil, again, was just terrible. His body language was all over the place from, you know, being back to his best almost with a, with a couple of performances against Chelsea at times and United and everything's, everything's fixed. That's where this team is at right now. It can It's so frail, it can just fall apart within a, you know within a couple of days so he's obviously had a massive impact at half time now that i guess will have been um very organized and very direct to certain members of of the of the tactical way he wanted to play to go right we need to do this we need to do that but i think with our and also let me just flip into arsene wenger arsene wenger had this ability to be able to almost say nothing and get a response mm. he, he was just so respected and so calm because the group of players would go out and get results most of the time 
when there was a problem, he'd come in and he'd hardly say anything. I remember him, and I tell this story a lot about him writing something on the chalkboard against, I think it was Liverpool at home, we're losing 1-0 or something. I can't remember the exact game, but he came in and and sat us all down and we were, it was a very quiet dressing room. He didn't say anything to begin with. It was always just before you go out to give you one thing to think about. And we'd all chatted amongst ourselves and tried to sort it out, me, Tony, and a few of the lads, and and to try and work out what we're going to do. And he just sat us all down, got the piece of chalk, wrote uh, two crosses on the chalkboard with an arrow, and he just went, come on, we go left, and then walked out. And it was like, what? What was that? And I was looking at Tony and Nigel Winterburn going, we go left, what does... Anyway, we go out and we beat Liverpool 3-1 and we come in after the game and he points to the chalkboard and he goes, see, I told you. And then he walks out and I went, that man's a genius. He's a genius. So there's different ways of doing it. Yes. But um, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a big moment, I think, for everybody on the last yesterday. He's obviously, it can have an impact on, on a group of players who have been looking a bit lost of late i mean just touching on his sort of style of leadership and um i was wondering how quickly or how able a manager is able to sort of engender a team spirit and sort of sense of camaraderie which you've clearly identified as key to the historical success of good arsenal teams i'll tell you for why because that for when he was had his first press conference when he was appointed arsenal manager just before the bournemouth game a few of us went upstairs to the director's lounge afterwards where we had a bit more of an intimate chat with him he said, I've just, had, I've just met the players, but I've told them Freddie's in charge for the first game at Bournemouth. It's his team, his tactics and everything. And I, he said, but I have told them what I expect. And I said to him, did you tell them that they're on trial, that they've got to prove themselves to you? He said, no, I've told them that they're on trial with each other. They've got to prove themselves first to each other, that they're worthy of being each other's teammate, that they'll cover for each other, look after each other. And maybe that's what he has said to the players that you've got to you've got to earn your place in the team because if you don't do it my way or for each other then you're out of this club but lee that's that's the point isn't it really i remember when people have talked about the invincibles and they would look at each other in the tunnel i'm assuming it's the same for your teams you played in as well they would look at each other in the tunnel and say you ready i'm ready are you ready and they would because you have to rely on each other that is that is leadership but, of itself. Yeah, but the, th- the thing is with that, it's like him saying things like that, you know, you've got to prove to each other and that you're, um, that you're going to stay in the team. And all this. That's like, it's almost like we're listening to that now and going, wow, look at that, that's great. That, that's, that's an absolute given in any team I've ever played in yeah. at yeah. Arsenal. That, that, so people, now it's all of a sudden, it's like, Oh, it's new style management, or it's it's just like that's that's what football is. If you don't play well and you don't prove to any yourself, the club, your teammates that you're going to be in the team, you're not in the team. It's not a new thing. I mean, it comes out in a different different words, different sort of um, you know coaching methods or whatever. It, it's just football, and if you don't play well and you don't run about. You don't get in the team, and that's how simple. It, but it's got the game's got so complicated with tactical analysis and players not, um, you know, body language not being right and looking like they're not bothered and all this lot. That I'm not saying that players in the in the past didn't give everything and sometimes you know d- didn't look as if they were trying or stuff like this. But the, the, my take on it is that the modern day player has to be managed in a completely different way now. So you're getting different nuances, different types of 
of managers and coaches trying to get the best out of their players. Well, and I wanted so to, the, Lee, I wanted to ask you about that very thing. The fact is the players now are multi-millionaires. Uh, they, yeah. are, they are richer than the manager in general. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is it? Do you think it's a different thing now? It's a more subtle thing now? Management, yeah. you can't just throw teacups at the wall. I'm sure it still happens. And, you know, I'm sure Sean Dice walks in and throws a few teacups <laughs> here and there. Um, well, apparently Arteta was shouting last night. Mikel was shouting at half-time. That's what Lacazette said. Yeah, you have to have a manager standing on a pedestal, talking down to his players. In a, this, I'm the boss. If you don't do this, if you start to reason too much with players, Arsene was very much... Um, you could you 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 had a voice in his dressing room. I wasn't totally sure that he was listening to you. You know, he'd let you speak, but I'm think I still think got the impression he was going. You know what? I yeah, thanks, Lee. Yeah, yeah, okay. I hear you what you're saying, but then it would be, you know, there was always an element of that, and I felt that with him. George, he was pretty obvious he wasn't listening to you because he was shouting and wouldn't let you speak. You know, and you could have an argument with him. A discussion was out of the question. You know, he'd, he'd have a rook with you at half-time, like Wrighty or, or whoever. But there, So that was the different styles. But I think now, certainly, Mikel, I, I would suggest that all the best managers, and Pep will be the same, you know, with Pep will lose his rag with players because ultimately it's his, always the manager's yeah. head is on the block. And I just want to go back quickly, sorry, to the team spirit thing. The, the team spirit thing for me is fascinating when you see all these players giving a big circle on the pitch before the game showing they're together and having one last team tour the biggest load of rubbish ever (laughs) nothing that's ever been said in that little huddle before you kick off I'm telling you now all 11 players there not one of them is listening you're just about to kick off everything's been done it's all for show isn't that just for us Lee though that's just for the fans it's it's for maybe the captain himself who thinks he's doing a good it's rubbish This this is my opinion so the team spirit thing and, and uh, you know, the going, the, the bonding and all of this stuff, that's stuff and nonsense. And we I, we did all that. And But the team spirit for me, and, it, and it's kind of pretty definitive in my book, team spirit is being on the pitch and being able to accept criticism from your teammate who's telling you you're not doing your job and I need you to do this. And you turning around to him and putting everything aside, your pride, the fact that he's humiliating you on the pitch and telling you that you're rubbish and you need to step up and you do this, and you accepting that criticism in the middle of your chest, in your heart, yeah. taking it in and then going, yeah, he's right, and then trying a bit harder. That, for me, is the is the epitome of team spirit. And if all 11 of you are doing that and have the ability to do that, then you've got the best team in the world and then you go out for a drink after or you go for a meal with the wives and you high five in the tunnel with your French colleague opposite and all of that all of that is just garbage for me the actual team spirit thing all comes down to that ability to accept criticism and instruction from somebody who who might not be as good a player as you but has seen something and gone Dicko I think you need to get a bit tighter on Giggsy because of me going hang on you play in midfield you know you get up the pitch and do all your job. That's that's team spirit, the ability to take that information on board and be better and be the, and make the team better. Nick? Just a quick quick one, Lee. And and by the way, I preferred it when the team just went out and sort of in the lined up and just waved to all corners of the ground, home and away, just to let them know yeah. that the Arsenal were here. But just on yeah. Arteta, to conclude on Arteta, when we last spoke, 
you were banging the drum for Patrick Vieira. I was right behind you on that one too. But I've been, mm-hmm. like like Stoney, been completely won over by Arteta after uh, only four games and what I've seen and spoken to him. Have you been yeah. won over? Do you think he's going to be a good appointment for the Arsenal? I hope so. I'm not, I'm not I'm, you know, four games is, is nowhere near enough to be won over. I like what... <laughs> it is for me. I like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. And, and, and I would expect the fans to, you know, to be like that. I think that, you know, the performance against probably one of the worst Man United performances yeah. I've seen in living memory the other night was, was great. And, and the, the, you know, that, that ability, the, the closing down that, you know, all of that sort of stuff was, it, it's, it's a lot better. Um, but you know, the pitch made me laugh. And again, obviously I'm the purveyor of doom as usual, but it made me laugh when there was a pic, there was pictures the next day of like three or four Arsenal players closing a Man United player down and uh, and it was like, look at that, we're all chasing the ball. And I was like, and I, I put on Twitter, I think, what happens if you've passed it to the bloke in a load of space just to the left of the picture when they've all chased the ball into one area? And I was like, oh, did I really need to write that? Because I liked what I saw in that. You know, the, the crowd were up for it. It was so he definitely had an impact that long term he will be judged by um, the ability to climb up the league and get his own players in. Because this group of players is nowhere near good enough. Whether we whether we go on a run and do well, the the whole, in my opinion, the whole team needs revamping. So it's he'll be judged on his ability to convince the board um, to give him the money to buy the play his players. Once he's got his players in, then and 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 we've seen results. Then I'll then I'll uh, I'll jump on the fan bandwagon and go. <laughs> Well done. But so far, so good. He's, he's, he's made an impact. He certainly has. You know, we have to choose music at the end of this show. I was I don't know what I was going to have, but I'm thinking Rain on My Parade by Barbara Streisand now. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, Lee Dixon, it's been lovely I'm talking to you as always. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Now, this athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. (laughs) We can see, if you had a camera in here, you could see how hard we all worked to dress well. Uh, To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants. Needs, I just want clothes that... To cover. Well, you've, you've seen my Arsenal banana socks. That's it says, true. That's all that I need to say about me. Now, a personal stylist, what happens is a personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each hand-picked especially for you, from our selection of 100 brands, including established names, up-and-coming designers, and exclusive brands you won't find anywhere else. Try on everything at home and style with other items in your wardrobe. You can then <laughs> pay for what you love and send back the rest. For your stylist time... I've always wanted a stylist, I've got to be honest with you. You pay a charge of just 10 quid, which is deductive from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Remember, you try before you buy at home. Delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Stitch Fix allows you to save time. Because the amount of time I spend shopping, yeah, exactly. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot co dot U-K forward slash 
athletic. <laughs> you can I, I close your mouth in awe. I think now, it's a compliment, Stoney, that you're, uh, you know, a well-attired man, king of the mods in some respects. Always like to be well turned out. Not the king. Not well, the king. A, a friend, a friend of the king. <laughs> you've, <laughs> yes, met, you've, quite. you've seen him a couple of times. One likes to make an effort. Yes, I think so. Yes, but I, I'm now going to get myself a stylist. I'm going to get right stitched up. With <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> The last podcast we did was after we lost to Chelsea uh, 2-1. Very, very sad event for Arsenal fans. And then since then, we've had two games, two wins, two clean sheets. The Manchester United game was when everything felt fantastic. Leeds, you didn't work out at the start, but then it all picked up in the second half. But Lee was talking about that closing down. Now, you wrote a piece about, um, particularly about Torreira, the, the uh, what do you call it, the Renaissance of Torreira. I like that. It sounds like the born supremacy all over again. <laughs> the renaissance of Torreira. And you, you were talking about the position he was taking, which made it easier for him to close down. Well, I, I had a, a chat with uh, Adrian Clark, um, who does the breakdown uh, uh, on the Arsenal website and has a really good um, way of managing to, to make tactical things seem really uh, easy to understand for those of us who are not that well-minded. Um, and he explained it so brilliantly. And basically, he said that Torreira's touches since um, he'd been playing under Arteta were almost all, if you kind of divided the pitch into, into squares, in the central midfield square, all the square just to the right. And prior to that, in the, the time that he was playing mostly under Unai Emery, it was sort of all over the place. Now, his quality is in dealing with things that are quite close to him. If he sees danger five yards away, he he spots it quickly, he gets there early and he deals with it. And he's brilliant at those snappy tackles, winning the ball back and distributing it quickly. What he's less good at is running 25 yards to try and get to the danger because, you know, he's not... He's not got that sort of that huge stride of a massive athlete, let's be honest. No. It's partly due to the, the way he's built. Um so actually dealing with things in a, in a smaller area of the pitch enables him to dominate and do what he does best really, really easily and really naturally. Asking him to cover huge distances, uh, sometimes against opponents that will be faster than him or more power, powerful than him, is not bringing out the best in Lucas Torreira. So in simplifying his role, he has become instantly twice as effective but do you think, Nick, do you think that essentially what Mikel Arteta has done is simplified everyone's role? Yeah, They all a, seem to know where they're meant to be. He's one of those guys who makes you think being a manager must be quite easy because he's doing the sort of things that we, sitting on the sidelines as fans, are thinking, you've got a great holding defensive midfielder here in Lucas Torreira. Why don't you play him in his best position, simplify his tasks and get him to do what he's really good at rather than, as Amy was saying, sort of running around like a bit of a headless chicken. You didn't really know what position he was playing for, playing in before. He was when when Unai Emery signed him. I remember thinking, "God, this is fantastic! This is just the yeah. sort of player we need." Someone who just tackles hard, wins the ball, reads the game very well, and lay, lays it off to someone who can then create and and snuff out the danger. And that's all he's bothered about: winning the ball back and defending, defending that little sort of shield, sort of Gilberto Silva shield in front of the defence, the Vieira Petit sort of role. And then 
it was almost as if Unai Emery didn't sign him for that. He sort of lost his marbles completely and had him playing all over the place. Yeah. And it's a bit like, you know, you heard Jamie Vardy at Leicester who's having sort of the best season of his life. He says that Rodgers there has simplified his role. Why are you running around trying to chase on every defender? Just play in the centre of the pitch where the ball can come into you and you'll get more chances. You'll expand this energy, expend. Yeah, spend. expend less energy. Yeah. I mean, so so we've been talking about leadership. Is leadership partly about simplifying what the players have to do? Because they don't want too much complication, do they? You can see the way that Liverpool play when they're when the, the, everyone seems to know their game, and that goes to the reserves as well. We saw them beat Everton the other night. Jurgen Klopp has simply everyone knows what they're meant to be doing through the club, and I get a similar vibe. I might be getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but I do get a similar vibe uh, with uh, Mikel Arteta. The fact that he can get Socrates to play uh, a right back and do a job, he's not particularly happy about bombing up and down the wing at thirty-one. But he did what he had to do, and and I think that's because he knew what role. He was meant to be playing and he understood the basic idea of it and he did it well, I felt. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's interesting is that you can almost go through the whole team. Certainly felt it against Manchester United where for for so many months you've been looking at the team and invariably looking at the players and thinking how many of them were not playing to their potential. And all of a sudden, I think against that in that Man United game, it felt like from front to back, every single member of the team played to more or less their best level. Mm. Um, and it, it felt like across the board, you could just see they were comfortable with what they were doing. And I think a lot of players, and I remember speaking in the past to players about this, where a lot of them grow up in an environment where they like being told exactly what to do and what their job is. If it's all a bit free form, it, it only t- it takes a certain level of, of, of player and person to be able to just go out there and do what you like and it works. It's a bit like someone says, uh, you know, in an exam, okay, write a story. It can be about anything. Yeah, it's too much, isn't it? It's like you, you need a bit of guidance. You need some boundaries. You need some parameters. You need to try and concentrate your mind on on something that makes sense. And actually giving someone some parameters is so helpful. Yeah. So I think they've been told exactly what kind of story they're supposed to write, if you like, yeah. in terms of their own job on the pitch. It does feel and that it do- way. And, they, and I think what that has enabled the players to do is relax a bit more as well and and not worry so much about their game. I just don't think the players look so stressed. Well, I want to ask you about relaxation because there was a moment last night and we all saw it when Socrates told the crowd to calm down. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he told us all to calm down because we were getting het up of course, it wasn't going particularly well. It was in the first half, wasn't it? And uh, and it wasn't going particularly well. And uh, and Socrates turned around to the crowd and went, calm down. Mm. He put his hands down in the calm down motion. And I think... He looked quite angry, didn't he? He looked quite angry. Around us, we started laughing. Mm. He went, did he just tell us to calm down? But he, he did. And do you think that as, as fans, we also need to accept that they are going to make mistakes because they're trying to learn new systems with a new manager and 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 do things they haven't really done before. I think the crowd maybe has to learn a little bit as well. Yeah, I think Lee, we? Leeds were surprisingly really, really good as well, weren't they? That that surprised certainly surprised me. That's the other thing. And uh, they stopped, but but we came out with you know very slow on energy and seemed to be slow on the uptake. That actually we're up against a good team, which is why Arteta was angry. He said afterwards, "I told them before these guys are just smashing everyone in the championship every single week, three times a week." And I was quite surprised when I saw the team sheet. And it's only really afterwards that I respect Arteta even more for it because it shows how much he did his homework. 
he obviously knew a lot more about Leeds than most of us idiots who just think, mm. oh, look, they're top of the championship. They must be all right. And yeah, we've heard a bit about Marcelo Bielsa. But I think that he was absolutely right to realise that anything other than an almost full-strength situation was going to be real trouble. And it, and it was only really the only concession he made to, was to rest Torreira and Aubameyang, who had covered such hard yards mm. with yeah. their 90-minute yeah. phenomenal performances a, a, over a short period of time recently. But we but, missed them both, didn't absolutely. we? Absolutely. But in terms of the strength of the rest of the lineup, that was him saying, I'm not going to do what, say, Unai Emery did against Crystal Palace in the Premier League last season, oh. which is, oh. you know, sort of underestimate. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Ian just looked like he's eaten something really bad. That was bad. But, but, you know, that was an example, probably the worst example of, of maybe underestimating the difficulties that you might face in a match. And it turned out, out to really uh, be punished by, by Crystal Palace. This was an example of Arteta making choices that everybody thought, well, you're going to rest players. They've all been hammering it over the Christmas period. And, you know, there's a bit of a break, but it's not even a full week until the next game, early kickoff at Crystal Palace. It would been completely understandable if he had picked a, a you know, much uh, more changed team. I thought that Willock would play and Ceballos mm-hmm. would play and there was a, a Saka yeah. would play. And there was a few on the, um, on the bench that, you know, that were not started because he knew he needed a big performance with big experienced players to deal with Leeds because they're absolutely fantastic. And what Leeds were, when you looked at our first half, the contrast between a team who had been really, really well drilled for 18 months compared to a team who looked like they've been drilled for five minutes really showed. Mm. I mean, that kind of, that sort of almost telepathic organisation and work rate that they had, they knew exactly what they were if doing they had a and they good played finisher, that way. They could have finished the soft, they could be out the FA Cup. Well, they're, listen, I think they're better. The, the performance they did last night was better than mm. Manchester United did against us. I mean, we were very good, I thought, at least for a half against Manchester United, I, but Leeds look like a real team. I'm just interested to talk about our expectations for sort of the rest of this season and under Arteta because... It's back on. After that, no, it's back at the double, the double <laughs> back on, isn't it? Not out the cup. We're climbing up that table. We've won a match. After that Man United win in the press conference afterwards, there was sort of jubilant sort of atmosphere around the stadium. We'd won it? a game. And Arteta, he was, you know, he's got a lovely smile. He was beaming when he came in. And so I said, you know, how have you sort of, you know, uh, in, injected such a great change so quickly? You know, you're winning games now. And so he said, a, a defeat, a draw, a defeat and a win in the league. He said, well, look, you know, we've just changed a few things on this, but this is going to be, this is just the start. I'm delighted. It's his first ever win as a manager. He's it's never. It's his first three points ever. Yes. He said it's going to be. It's going to be. It's going to be really hard. There's going to be some bumps in the road. We won't always be winning two 0 and keeping clean sheets. Well, I think last night was a big test for him because you're up against an ex- a very experienced manager with a young, hungry team who, as you said, have been playing together and have been through some adversity, losing in the playoffs last year, and they look strong and they look odds on to come up. And when they do come up. They are not going down straight down again. This is a team that will will make a mark in the Premier League. And Arteta came up against them and worked it out at half-time, shouted a bit in the dressing room and got the result. I mean, I'm very encouraged. If you're yeah. asking where this leads, the expectations, do you know what? I'm just enjoying going to the Emirates again, isn't that? That's How, a huge, That's all we huge want, thing, isn't it? Yeah. Because I haven't felt like that for a long time. I just want the, the, one of the reasons I asked that as well is because that again, going back to that press conference when he was unveiled, as as we say, 
he was, I had to write one of those things, what's in the five things he must address first. And the first thing I said was one was avoid relegation. So, you know, we were only, we were only a yeah. few points above the drop zone yeah. then. And he had to get a couple of wins and get them climbing up the table. And then we were talking to him and Raul Sanlehi, who effectively appointed him as manager. He was, people were questioning Arteta's lack of experience. He said, well, he's had a lot of experience. So you can judge experience on different levels. And I said, what about success? What would you judge to be success for Arteta? He said, well, obviously, we want to win all the trophies, the Champions League, the Premier League. I said, but, you know, this season, he said, well, obviously, we want to qualify for the Champions League this season. I thought, really? Yeah. You know, don't you want to avoid relegation? And I thought, and Arteta said, he didn't look phased by that at all. So maybe he's got that self-confidence that he can get us up to the top four. Personally, I don't think it's viable whatsoever. You know, this is the first time Arsenal have won two consecutive games in three months. Do you realise Three that? months? Three months, exactly. Yeah. Haven't conceded I mean, a goal the whole decade. I mean, just for a little decade. bit of perspective. <laughs> but, you know, it's coming out, you know, the sunshine is, is stream, mm. beginning to stream in, but it's coming from quite a dark place. Mm. In terms of expectations... It's just about enjoying the ride for the time being. It's too early. He says that was his first three points. He's managed four games ever. This is an interesting period because he's got two weeks with no midweek games yeah. and games against Crystal Palace and Sheffield United, which will be work. tough. But this is quite an interesting period to see what kind of concentrated work can be achieved in this like next phase, if you like. Let's uh, let's choose some music, I guess, suitably upbeat, although Teo has just been in my ear saying, what about Gene Khan and don't let it go to your head? Which is an excellent idea. Mm. I think he's thinking we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves. Um, Nick, have you got a piece of music for yeah, us? Well, I, was, you know, I, I liked the way at the end of the match last night they played War, uh, War Yellow Ribbon, which is for me is the quintessential Arsenal Cup FA Cup song. But the song that I was singing walking home from the Man United game was from a bad, a favourite band of mine, the special, The Dawning of a New Era, the Jerry Damas classic. And it, that's what it feels to me. It's not the, we're not, it's just the beginning. It's the dawning of a new Arteta Arsenal era. Amy? I haven't got anything better than that, so I'll go with yours, Nick. All right, well, because I, I think I see him as some sort of messianic figure, so I was going to go for I Am the Resurrection <laughs> by the Stone Roses. <laughs> Maybe it's too far, but you know what? Let's enjoy it. Yeah. Um, thank you to Amy. Thank you, Nick, as well. Thank you to Teo uh, for looking after us. Thanks to Lee Dixon uh, for coming on the uh, Handbrake Off podcast for The Athletic. Thanks for listening. I'm Ian Stone. See you soon. Hold up. 